And I want to thank Miriam, Renee, and Amanda for that beautiful song. They did a fantastic job. Amen? Wow. Yeah, so I, I feel like I've been to church. I'm good. I can go home now. You're not supposed to say amen. Come on now. <laughs> you know, our culture, uh, it, it teaches us certain things, right? You've all said this. You maybe have heard it. You got you to gotta see it to believe it. But so the Bible and Jesus and God teach different things, right? They, they, they would say faith, faith, right, is, is not see it to believe it. It's actually believe it to, to see it. Yeah, so you don't always register everything you see, right? Everything you see, you don't always see. So some things are hidden. So the point, if you've been with us for this entire series of Bold as a Lion, it's all about vision and eyesight and seeing the kingdom of God. It's about the fact that Jesus is in this room right now. And some of you are like, where? But he's here. And he's hidden in plain sight. So for instance, how many of you, when you're walking, my mom used to always do this. We'd be walking with my mom. My mom would be like, stop everything, right? We're, you know, stop traffic, 35, it didn't matter. There's a penny. We're going to stop everything to pick it up. Anybody there with me? You stop and pick How many of you still pick up a penny if you see it? Some people are like, oh, it's just a penny. No, my mom was like, it's from heaven. Right? You heard that? Pennies from heaven. So uh, can you tell me what's on the front of a penny? Everyone here? If not, it's on the screen. A picture of? Friends, I need a little more energy out of you today. It's Lincoln. Yes. Now, this has been on the penny since 1908. Have you ever thought about whoever created the famous portrait of Lincoln on the penny? It was Victor David Brenner. And Victor David Brenner was proud of his work because it's been on every penny since 1918 in the U.S. Mint. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. His initials are there, VDB, right there on the penny. How many of you ever noticed that before? How many of you are thinking, this is the worthless trivia we only get at Grace Presbyterian Church? <laughs> but it's hidden, but it's in plain sight right? Or how about barber poles? Anyone seen a barber pole in your life? Yeah. yeah actually, uh, the colors of the barber pole and the barber pole has been around since the Middle Ages. It's pretty interesting history about this. Um, they were actually one time called barber surgeons, believe it or not. The Catholic Church, though, uh, banned religious figures from performing many procedures. At one time, uh, pastors like me would perform procedures. <laughs> Good thing that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Anyhow, so some physicians thought, hey, we're beneath, you know, that's sort of, the, that's sort of beneath our skills. We're, we're highly trained. So instead, patients would turn to barbers because they were good with sharp instruments, right? And that meant everything from pulling teeth to setting bones to minor surgery, uh, as well as a haircut and a shave. I mean, you get it all. Talk about supercuts, okay? Anyhow, the... <laughs> The red represents blood in the fold, the white represents bandages, and the blue actually represents non-oxygenated blood. And the reason that I'm talking about this, besides another worthless trivia, is the fact that they were poles and they put up because why? Why did, why did they have poles that were colorful and bright? Because people couldn't read, couldn't read. Now, the next thing I'm going to share with you is also hidden in plain sight. You've probably seen it. You've probably not recognized it. And really, it is the gem of the sermon. And I, sh I share this uh, with some fear that this is the only thing you're going to get out of the message today. Because it's what Renee got out of the message. 
she read the sermon and she's like, oh my gosh, I never knew that. I'm like, really, that's your opening comment on the message? So here it is. How many of you have ever pulled into the gas station and went, ah, I'm on the wrong side, or you barred your spouse's car and you, you don't know which side of the tank you get to pull in, anyone been there? And so you kind of back up and pretend you meant to do it all along, right? And you turn it around. Well, you don't have to do that anymore if you would just look at the arrow and where the arrow is pointing on your car, guess what? It's pointing to where your gas cap is. How many of you knew that already? Oh, it was a worthless example, you all knew it, okay. Hopefully someone online didn't know it. Or how about Lady Liberty? Yes, Lady Liberty. We've all loved Lady Liberty. She's been there in New York Harbor since 1886. It was a gift to our president, Grover Cleveland, from France to celebrate our 100 years of independence and anniversary. It took 214 crates to ship Lady Liberty over. She actually stands now 300 feet tall and one inch. What's the one inch about? Nobody knows. Anyhow, uh, its statue gets about 3.5 million visitors per year. And did you ever wonder why she's got these spikes on the crown, right? Seven spikes. Does anyone know what those seven spikes stand for? Oh, finally something you don't know. <laughs> well, let me just rub it in for a moment. Yes, I know you don't. Uh, it is uh, for the seven continents of the world, so it's hidden in plain sight. So there's a lot of symbols hidden in plain sight. And all this is a long, long lead up to this fact and this question, have you ever had a conversation with someone, right? And it's a deep conversation, a meaningful conversation, or even a comment. And you look back on your life and you're like, wait a minute, that was actually God speaking to me. That was actually God speaking through this other person. Because, you know, God does do that. God does speak through other people. That's kind of my job. Hello? Someone like, I ain't heard God out of you yet, Pastor. But uh, no, but that's true. Have you ever had that? Yes, amen? Yeah. But Jesus sometimes is hidden in plain sight. And I want to show you this in the Bible, how this actually occurs where People are talking to Jesus and they don't even know it. So we're going to go to Luke 24, verse 13, and we're going to unpack Luke 24. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles. That's important. Remember that distance? How far away is the village church? How far? I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Not six, not five, but remember that. That's a good distance. I don't know if you're like me, I've got a little Apple watch or you got a little, a little Fitbit watch. How many of you count your steps, huh? How many of you like send it and you, you share it? Like I do this with Charlotte, we share and I'm like, I am kicking your butt today, you are not doing well. Have you ever do that? No, no, just me? Okay, anyhow. Well, if you count steps, you know that seven miles, if you do seven miles of steps, that's a lot of steps. That's like 15, 16,000 steps. A lot of steps, that's huffing it. So when we read that Jesus walked and we read that these people walked seven miles, uh, they are literally putting foot in front of foot. They are huffing it, okay? So I want you, to, the reason I stop and just want to dwell on this is because when you read scripture, you want to smell it. You want to feel it. You want to really get a sense for what is going on here. So anyhow, these two guys are walking to a village called Emmaus, which was outside of Jerusalem, verse 14, and they talk together of the things 
that it happened. Now, we're in Luke 24, which is after Jesus died on the cross. So what things do you think they're talking about? It's always Jesus in church, that's correct. Dying on the cross, okay, so that's what. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus showed up and began walking with them. There was two, but now there's three. Awesome, Jesus just shows up. He had been dead, he had been buried. What's he doing? He's walking around. He drew near and went with them. Did they know it? Verse 16, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Superpower, whatever Jesus did, X-Men trick, Avengers trick, I don't know. But Jesus has got amazing powers, amen? So they were walking with Jesus, but they didn't know it. He was hidden in plain sight. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another while you're walking and why are you so sad? Let me give you my translation. This is called the NJT, New John translation, okay? Uh, Jesus is like, what's the matter with you guys? You seem so sad. What's wrong? What are you down about? That's basically what he asked in the original Greek. Why are you so bummed out? Jesus says to them, and they're talking about him. Then the one whose name was Cleopas, and we only know one of these guys' names, Cleopas, answered and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that have happened in these days? Like, hello, where have you been? This guy's very high strung. He's like, you don't have a Twitter account? Come on. Have you not seen the breaking news? And Jesus said to them, what things? And Jesus listens to them as they talk about a man who died. And Jesus is like, me, know about that? I wouldn't know anything about dying on a cross. Me getting buried with 75 pounds of spices? No, what things? Please tell me about these things. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor here. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people. And yet the chief priests and, the, and the, our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But notice here what they say to Jesus about Jesus. But we were hoping that, that he was going to be him, the one who would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides this, today is the what day? The third day. God's called the God of the third day, right? Uh, it's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and now look how they talk about the women. Now again, this was patriarchal times, right? Uh, women, they, they, they weren't sure if they even believed their testimony, right? Yes, and certain women of our company, Jesus was the only rabbi that had women in his company, right? Uh, who, they arrived at the tomb early, Mary Magdalene, and they, they surprised us because they did not find his body. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they saw a vision of angels and they said he was alive. And then certain those who were with us went to the tomb, right, Peter and the beloved disciple, and found it was just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. They didn't see Jesus. So are these women crazy? What's going on? Verse 25, Jesus says to them, oh, you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory? In other words, he's saying, didn't you remember the Old Testament? Don't you remember the Old Testament said all these things were gonna happen? 
He's saying their failure at this moment is a result of not trusting and reading God's word and the prophecies. Jesus is saying, guys, you should not be, you would not be so stressed out about all these enormous trials if you had faith in what my word tells you. And verse 27, Jesus begins at Moses and Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, except for the whole part about his own funeral. It's hard to write about your own funeral. Okay, so beginning at the very beginning, he expounded them and the scriptures, all things concerning himself. I want to download that podcast, right, <laughs> where Jesus talks about it. So Jesus goes meticulously as they go through seven miles, that's a lot of steps, through the whole Old Testament and shows them all the things that were like previews of coming attractions. And he says, remember how Adam and Eve sinned? God had them kill this lamb and the lambs was the blood that was covered. And now you're clean. We just sang about it. And that's me. Actually, Jesus was like, that was Jesus. And so Jesus is walking along with them and he covers up, what would I do, bracelet on his wrist. <laughs> and they didn't see it. And he goes on, he talks about the blood and the Passover. That was Jesus. He goes through the whole Bible and he shows how it was all leading to Jesus. 758 prophecies leading to Jesus. So verse 28, they drew near to the village where they were going and listen, Jesus indicated that he would have gone further. So what's he doing? Have you ever had somebody fish, fish in your pond for an invitation to come over or maybe have dinner, or maybe spend some time with you, yes? Sure. And this is what Jesus is doing, but he's doing it subtly. Jesus will not kick down the door of your life and come into your house. He will honor your freedom. But Jesus is like, oh, this is your stop? Well, I was, gonna, I was just gonna keep going unless someone wants me to stop with you and maybe get a meal. So Jesus gives them space to invite him in, which is exactly what he does with every one of us. Every one of us, he gives space. I mean, look, everyone has a shepherd. Everyone has someone or something that they follow in life, something that guides their life, education, looks, money, riches. Everyone has a shepherd, which is why David said, my God is my shepherd, who's yours? And Jesus invites us in. He knocks at the door, but notice what they do, verse 29. They constrained him. They said, hey, come with us. Abide with us, for it's toward evening. And look, the day is spent. It's nighttime. And Jesus went to stay with them. So they have a meal. Now it came to pass, he sat at the table, and Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Because in Jewish meals, you, you blessed and, and gave thanks to God for every part of the meal right? You think you do a lot when you pray before the meal? Imagine that. I thank you, God, for the steak. Thank you, God, for the broccoli. Hello? Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. What does it say their eyes were? Because it's all about sight, right? Faith is a telescope. We don't walk by sight. As Christians, we walk by faith. And he vanished from their sight. Awesome, cool. David Copperfield trick right there. There you go. Jesus disappears. And here's what it says. And they said to one another, the two gentlemen, did not our hearts burn while he talked with us on the road? Like, didn't we know that this guy was unusual? And while he opened the scriptures up to us. So notice what it says. 
Does it say they, they decided to turn in for the night, get a good night of sleep, and then they'd go back to Jerusalem? No, what does it say? It says, so they rose up at that very hour, right away, and they returned to Jerusalem. That's a long walk. And they found the 11, the 11 disciples who were gathered with them, and they said this, oh my gosh, guys, we have seen the Lord. He's risen indeed. He's alive. We we walked with him. He unpacked the scriptures with us. In fact, he, we had a meal with him and our eyes were opened up. He was known in the breaking of the bread. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Hidden in plain sight. I like Netflix. Anyone here like Netflix? Anyone here? Yeah, like Netflix? I like watching weird shows. Renee always comes in and she's like, what are you watching now? I like watching nature shows. I like watching Discovery Channel shows, all the, all the weird nature. I grew up loving, like, remember Mutual of Omaha? Yeah. And, you know, Wild Kingdom, that old guy that was on there. What was his name? Carl something. Or Mr. Green Jeans, right? Remember him? We're going way back. Captain Kangaroo, right? And then Steve Irwin. You got to love Steve Irwin, right? Because, I mean, look at this cockroach. Oh, my goodness. It's got six legs. It's amazing. And anybody that's willing to jump on top of a crocodile and wrestle it, I'm like, hey, you're my hero, dude. Go ahead. So I love watching those kind of shows. So I've been watching a show about lions, and they got this really cool show about lions. And that really became sort of the inspiration for this whole series because I was like, bold as lions. God talks about it. Proverbs 28. So anyway, I was watching this Netflix show about lions and they have this really cool narration voice that I don't have, but they're like, when lions hunt, this is how they do it. And you're like, ooh, you wanna listen. Lions are relatively slow. I didn't know that. The animals they eat are faster than them. Wow, how do they get a meal? Lions cannot change direction very fast like a leopard can. Okay, make note of that. They pretty much get going in one direction and they have to keep going. Most animals they chase can change direction in midair. And so then they start showing gazelles and you can get ADD watching a gazelle, right? There's... They're like some people in our Tuesday Bible study. They're like, ah. <laughs> and the, the, the narrator is like, lions are locomotives. They're very powerful. They've got a couple hundred yards of speed in them, but after that, they're done. They're super quick, but they're relatively slow, and they can't change directions midair like a gazelle can. And they're pretty much straight shooters, and if they don't work together, they fail. A lion working by itself will starve. And they don't even use, and this was pretty fascinating to me, and Renee thinks I'm really weird because I'm like, did you know, I like stop, I pause the Netflix, did you know, Renee, that lions don't use wind to their advantage? She's like, really? I don't care. <laughs> but I care. They're not like other creatures are sophisticated that like make sure their sense not, they don't care because you're saying to yourself, well, they don't sound like great hunters. Oh, but wait, 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 they are. They have a couple things going for them. They're really good at hiding. Super, super creepy, creepy hide in plain sight. And they're extraordinarily patient. And they work together. Lions work in prides. Your cat at home, complete loner. Lions, super, super social. 
Their strength in the hunt comes from numbers and from the fact that they cooperate. Now, here's what they do. And I learned this on Netflix. A group of lions will get together and they will flank the prey. They'll come up from the backside, the back, the rear, what they're going to hunt, what they're going to kill. And then they will creepy, creepy hide. I didn't do that for the nine o'clock. Okay. They find a tremendous hiding spot and they inch up real slow. And most of the time, (laughs) this is great. I love this because I thought, man, this will preach. The the narrator's like, of course, the lions that do the hunting and the work are the lionesses, the females. Why? (laughs) Because the male lions are only interested in two things, eating and sex. That's it. (laughs) Sounds like human beings to me. I thought that was funny. Anyhow, (laughs) lions and people, not that much different. So anyway, the lions do all the work. The females are doing all the work, okay? So they creep up. They get to a good hiding spot, and they wait there. Now, the male lion, he he just comes over, and sometimes it's a female, but mostly it's a male. And what he'll do is he'll stand up and let the gazelle see him, and then he'll let out a tremendous roar. And the roar will scare the you-know-what out of you. And it scares gazelles like crazy. And you can hear it from five miles away. And so what happens is the gazelle starts running away from the roar. The lions are hidden in plain sight. If you could speak to the gazelle, if you could talk gazelle, I don't know what that looks like. If you could reason with them, you would say, I know it's scary what you're hearing. I know it's scary what you're feeling, but actually you should be running towards what's terrifying you, not running away from it. If you could actually just face your fears, you would stand a chance of surviving this. This thing that's yelling at you, that, that let out that roar, if, you came, if it comes straight at you, you can change directions and it can't, they won't be able to. You might just live if you actually run towards the roar. And so it is in life. I said to Renee, this is it. Netflix gave me my sermon. (laughs) So it is in life. We see a perfect depiction of this in in Luke 24. This phenomenal story where these two men end up at the end of the day and they end up full of faith. They didn't start the day that way. They end up full of courage. They ended up fearless and they end up running back toward Jerusalem, what they started out at the beginning of the day, fleeing from, what they started out running away from, they run right back into. And the key moment, the key ingredient, the absolute most important thing we need to understand, the complete difference that we saw in these two, Cleopas and the other one, was what changed these men was verse 31 when it says their eyes were opened. And that's when they changed from panicky, insecure, freaked out, frightened, to full of courage and running towards what scared them. You could say they've now seen things through the eyes of the Lion of Judah. And just a few moments with Jesus changed everything about them. Now they can't get back to Jerusalem fast enough, when previously they couldn't get out of Jerusalem quick enough. Why? Well, because in Jerusalem, they stood a chance of being arrested, right? Jesus was crucified. You're a follower of Jesus. Guess what was happening? The Romans were gathering them up and they were killing them. 
All but one of the disciples died for faith in Jesus. Hello? So they were running away from that. We don't want to be, we don't want to die. Let's go. Well, it's a seven-mile walk. Well, who cares? Plus, Jerusalem was where Jesus was buried. And so for now, all they know, someone, someone stole his body. The enemy's wanting to rub it in. Have you ever had such a horrific thing happen to you that you don't ever want to go back to that place again? Have you ever, have you ever done anything? Like, I, I, this has happened to me. Um, I, I, I was driving on Easter morning to a sunrise service in California, and there was a guy that was in a car wreck. It was 4.30 in the morning, and I was the first one on the scene. And he was dying, and I did CPR on him and called 911, and the paramedics showed, and they did CPR, and he did not make it. So now, I mean, I did CPR. I did it right. I'm CPR trained. I did everything I could, but I still felt like I failed, right? I failed, I failed, I failed. He was actually a drunk driver. Killed himself. Single car accident. But now when I watch a movie and they'll throw in CPR scenes for movies like San Andreas, Fallhead, The Rock has it. If you see that, it's hard for me to watch people doing CPR because it brings back memories of me doing it, right? It's horrible. And so it's like, I don't want to go there. So these guys are like, I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. That's where Jesus died. And now, and there's no, it's just, we want to put Jerusalem in the rearview mirror and forget about it. Right? That's where they were at. They're leaving. And it's, it's unmistakable their sorrow. Verse 17, it says, their faces were downcast, meaning it was emotionally felt. It was clear on their faces. Their heads were bowed. Their shoulders were slumped. You know when someone's grieving. Then listen to this words. Tell me if this does not sound like people that were full of faith. It doesn't sound like it to me. In verse 19, Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. What does that mean? We don't think he is anymore. It's over. He was a prophet. Then in verse 21, we had hoped he was going to be. Boy, he showed a lot of potential. They're saying this to Jesus about Jesus. He really was awesome. Can we agree that life didn't go like they thought it was going to go? Amen? Hello? They had a certain picture of what the years were going to look like, right? They had a dream of what your life was going to look like, and all of a sudden that dream has become a nightmare. Some of you can relate. And their faces were downcast because their dreams had died. And I think you'll agree that in one way or another, all of us can say that's how life has been for us. I try to tell my kids this all the time. If you haven't been disappointed, live a little longer. It's coming. You'll experience disappointment. And there'll be things that you'll be tempted to allow your face to become downcast over and your outlook on the future to become downcast over. That marriage that didn't work out. That health crisis that didn't go the way you wanted. Now, here's what you need to understand. They're saying this to Jesus. <laughs> Anytime we speak about our future as though our dreams were over, as though our best days were, you know, behind us and we've already lived them, we're always premature about dreaming the death of a dream because Jesus is always with us. He's in the very room. And he gets the last word. 
Only Jesus gets to say when it's over. Even when it's over, it's not over for Jesus. Jesus is not intimidated by death. When Jesus saw death, he didn't go, oh, well, it's too late. He never said that. He opens what no one can shut, and he shuts what no one can open. And the resurrection's proof, and this is where you get excited and say amen. Yeah. Because some of you have said these words, I'll never love again. I'll never sing again. I'll never dream again. We'll never know what it feels like to wake up without sadness in my eyes. And all Jesus has to do is breathe and open our eyes and see the potential that's waiting and see that we won't always be like this and that we can dream again and we can love again and we can wake up with something more than sadness in our eyes. And let me say it this way, we, we get to understand things about Jesus that we would never know about Jesus because of the difficulty we face in life. Nobody wants to hear this. This isn't part of Joel Osteen's sermons because this is, this is not. But Jesus has a plan, he has a purpose, he's up to something. We don't ever get to speak definitively about something being over. Even when from an earthly perspective, it's not completely over, I've got news for you. God has all of eternity to fulfill the dreams we have here. My mom wanted to play in church forever. She's playing in church forever. She's playing right now. I had a, I won't go into details, but I had an amazing dream where I was in heaven and my mom showed me the largest piano I've ever seen. And I said, mom, what do you do? She goes, I got to play for God. I got to play. And she was like 28, perfect body. I was like, man, mom, you look great. She was new body. I said, do we get to pick that? Like, wouldn't you like to pick your body? Come on, you pick your emoji, right? Like, <laughs> let's see, where's my heavenly body? Oh, yeah, you look like heaven. <laughs> Renee's like, I'll pick for you. <laughs> You're not happy? <laughs> uh, how does this story end? Verse 29, they advised Jesus not to walk any further. Mm, turn in. Come on, you're not from around here. You need to understand, you need, it's dangerous. You need to turn in. Because they knew it wasn't safe to walk any further. Why? Because the day was spent. They had spent seven miles. The sun was setting. I know that we're almost to flying cars. I know we're almost ready to all get like the Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons, right? Remember that? I remember my dad like, that's going to be your reality when you're older. <laughs> like, still waiting for that day. <laughs> But when you talk about the ancient world going on a trek like they did, you have to understand, we're talking about crude roads, we're talking about no street lights, we're talking about you can actually see the stars, no headlamps, no lights, no cell phones with a flashlight mode. We have so many options. But imagine being in pitch black. They literally had a candle to light their way. Jesus acts like he's gonna walk further. However, is it two miles to the next village, three miles? I don't know. It's dangerous to keep walking, not a good decision. There were wild things that go in the night, right? Robbers, he could walk off a cliff. They urge him strongly to stay with him. Why? It'd be crazy to walk in the darkness. It's dangerous to walk in the darkness. So we gotta turn in. 
You got to hang out with us. But then when Jesus breaks bread with them and they have a meal with Jesus and their eyes were opened, what happens? Verse 33, once they saw Jesus, they got up at once and returned in the dark seven miles to Jerusalem. Seven miles in the dark. Didn't think twice. Why? Because they, they are filled with courage. We've seen Jesus. Their spies were now filled with steel because they had seen Jesus. When you experience God in life, it gives you courage. When you see Jesus, you have courage to do things that previously filled you with fear. Hello? I used to be scared to death to, to preach. And then I experienced Jesus. And now I go forever. <laughs> and you, you know it. <laughs> Does he ever shut up? Don't answer that. But it's all about eyesight. You can't do two miles. It's dark. Now they're going to do seven miles like it's no big deal. Because they got a message. They've got to tell the apostles he's alive. He's risen. We just, saw, we just had a meal with him. We, we didn't know at first. Our eyes were closed, but then all of a sudden we recognized it's him. He's alive. Now there are three things, and we're going to do three things that you can glean from this. Are you ready? Say amen. amen. Here's the first, and you may want to mentally write this down. If you take notes, if you want to put it on your phone, because I know some of you take notes on your phone, which is great, because some of you told me I'm not texting, so I'm trusting you're not texting. So anyhow, uh, reverse a fear. You can jot that down, put that in your phone, reverse the fear. Whatever fear tells you to do, right? Because fear tells us what to do, right? Fear will tell you when you hear the lion roar, get the you know what out of there. Start running. But reverse it. And that's a great rule of thumb in life. When you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to live for him, and that, that voice of fear speaks to your heart, and we know that voice, you can just reverse it. What do I mean? Like that gazelle, so often, when we do what fear tells us to do, right, we think we're running from danger, right? We're actually running from our destiny. We think we're running away from death. You're actually running towards your death, just like that gazelle is. The death of our calling, the death of God's plan on our lives. And it often, God's calling on your life almost always involves fear. Well, I want it to be like non-fearful. Well, that's not Christianity. That's the dentist office when they load you up on drugs. Victory, in contrast, comes from facing what you're afraid of and going full throttle towards it, if that's what God has called you to do. And you can actually see this point as you go through the Bible. You think about Esther, read about Esther, a beautiful woman in the Bible who saved her entire people. What fear filled her heart as she confronted and went into the king's presence uninvited. She was running towards the roar while fear was telling her, let someone else do it. You're the queen, you'll be okay. And Mordecai, her counselor says to her, who knows if you haven't been brought for the kingdom for such a time like this. In other words, God has picked you to do this. 
But if the death of Esther's calling would have happened, if she would have, if she would have run away from her destiny, God would have given that calling to someone else. See, the question is not, will God do what God wants to do in life? The question for you and me is, will we let him do it through us? Will he find space in our hearts so that he can move it? Victory comes when you run towards the roar. Esther did. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They had been hearing the roar deafening when all their friends were bowing down to the king. When everyone else at school was bowing down to the king, all they had to do was bow down to the king. But they said, you know what? We can't bow down to the king. We only bow down to God. And they would not bow. And they would only worship God. Even if it meant being called weird. Even if it meant being called stupid. Even if it meant you don't, you're not, you know, hanging out with the cool kids. Even if it meant being thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said these words, King, we will not bow. God can save us. But if he doesn't, then you're going to have to throw us into the fire furnace because we're not going to bow. They ran towards the roar. You think about David. Classic example, David's like 12 years old, right? And God gave him the call to fight Goliath, a giant of a man. And I love, if you read the story of David and Goliath, read it closely, right? Smell the scripture, immerse yourself. David faced off against Goliath. The Bible actually says, taking his stones, taking his sling, taking his staff and comforting himself in the name of the Lord, he ran, he ran. What's it say, church? He ran toward Goliath. Don't you love that? Goliath's like, what in the hip? Done. My hat's off to anybody who goes to fight a giant if they're just a kid. But someone who runs towards the giant, who runs towards the roar, who runs towards the direction, you know, everybody else is like, I ain't running towards Goliath. You're crazy. David's like, here I go. We have to understand that God often calls us to go to places that frighten us so that we'll begin to fully trust him. It's necessary for there to be a risk. It's necessary for there to be a bit of mystery to this. It's necessary for there to be a bit of element of, I don't know if this is all going to work out. Otherwise, there's no need for faith. Hello? This is like where we're teaching. If you have all the answers, if it all makes sense, there's no need for faith. There's no need for God. God often sets up things where things are stacked up against you to see if you'll trust him. And see if we'll walk with him and we'll run towards what we sometimes want to run away from. Right, God calls you to do something. You're like, I'm scared. God says, go, run towards the roar. I'm scared. What if people think I'm stupid? So what? Run towards the roar. And remember, God says to you, I've set before you an open door. God doesn't say, I've set before you a finished script. Here's how it all goes. Right, that's what we want. We want the finished script. We want, oh, here's how it's all gonna go. It doesn't work that way. You think you get married knowing everything that's going to happen in the marriage? <laughs> I didn't know this was in the page, huh? Surprise, chapter 11. So use your fear as a diagnostic tool. Use your fear to sniff out what the enemy's trying to snuff out in you. 
Because if God called you to do something and you start feeling fear, that tells you that the enemy is really afraid. Uh-oh. If the enemy is that afraid of what God's going to do, so he's trying to discourage you from doing it. When you feel opposed in exercising a God-given calling, believe that, that, that it's so important that you've got to double, triple, quadruple your efforts to do it. Turn it on the devil. Oh, you're trying to oppose me? Oh, I see how important it is I do this. Because in life, the only things that are really worth doing, we find the greatest opposition against. Just think about your life. Think about your life. If you're going to sit down tonight, if you're going to drive over to Shipley's, right? Because Shipley's is open. Not that I know this, but they are open during the day. And if you wanted to drive over there today after church and buy a dozen donuts and a bag of Fritos and just sit down and eat a dozen donuts and a bag of Fritos, ain't no one going to stop you. Mm. Yum. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do today. I always tell baby doll, it would be so easy for me just to let myself completely go. You'll find me there on the floor with Taco Bell wrappers all around me. <laughs> well, there he is. Because <laughs> I'm always like, oh, I got to eat a couple of blueberries every day. I hate blueberries. I hate them. But they're good. Antioxidants. So there I am. I don't want a green smoothie. I want the smoothie with rum in it. Oh, act like you don't like that too. Okay. Oh, pastor. I saw you at the hooks game. Pastor's not looking. I don't like the taste of kale. I hate kale. Right? You go to the doctor. First thing they do, get on the scale. I don't want to. I lie to myself. I said, this is delicious kale. <laughs> Disgusting. But it's good for you. In life, you'll find opposition. You, when you're trying to motivate yourself to go to the gym, you have a voice that will speak to you. And it will give you three billion reasons why you ain't got time to go to the gym today. You don't need to go to the gym. You look all right. You still fit in your pants. You're all right. Sure, you had to suck it in. You could fit in him after lunch, but you're all right. <gasps> if you're going to blow your paycheck in the first week of the month with three weeks left to go with no money, that little voice in your head says, spend, spend, spend. It's okay. And then your voice at the end of the month going, thanks for the credit card, Dad. I really needed that. Resistance will come against the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Use fear as a diagnostic tool. The things that we're doing will be opposed, so flip it around. Reverse the fear, that's the principle. But sometimes it's not always gonna be meaning you do a brand new thing. Sometimes you don't have to go fight Goliath. Check this out, sometimes it just means doing old things in a new way. And this will often be running towards the roar, doing old things in a new way. It's not always going to be something glamorous, a new adventure. It's you by faith, believing in God that you're doing right now that God has called you to do. So what could be running toward the roar mean for you this season? Well, it could mean something as simply remaining when everything in you wants to bolt. 
I know it's not sexy, but I want to go. But you can have the roar of consistency that you run towards. The roar of consistency. Eugene Peterson calls it long obedience in the same direction. The contribution that you make when you just keep digging the same hole, you keep working in the same spot, you keep doing the same thing. And I think sometimes in the church, what we praise is faith, and we say it's faith, it's really just flakiness. What do I mean? Well, the person that's been to nine different churches in nine months, and it's all those problems with those other churches. You know, they just don't love me for me. Or it's the pastor's fault. It's always the pastor's fault. Yeah, it's always my fault. I'm an easy target. Or they run out of every relationship they've been in because the goosebumps have worn off. Guess what? If you're with somebody for a while, the goosebumps wear off. If you need more details, ask Renee. <laughs> she ain't got no more goosebumps for me. <laughs> She's got other bumps, but I uh, goosebumps. It's the person who quits at work and the problem's always the company, right? It's always my boss. There's no opportunity for me to advance. I just quit. They don't get me. I'm a free spirit. They don't understand what an asset I am. The person who's constantly moving, you know, seven-year itch becomes a seven-week itch. They're never in one place long enough. And all these things are done in the name of following God's call and maybe even under the guise of running God's call, but they're running away from their destiny. So, because sometimes, what are you actually running away from? Well, you're running away from being dependable. You're running away from, from uh, being known as not fostering your addiction to newness, right? Because when it's new, it's shiny and great. So these things aren't always sexy, long obedience in the same direction. So, but there are very few things more faith-filled than being faithful. It might not be glamorous, to approach it, but you're gonna do an old thing, but you're gonna do it in a new way. So I'm not gonna rush off, and I'm not gonna get easily discouraged. I'm not gonna get easily offended, please people. I'm, I'm gonna be faithful to the same wife. I'm gonna be a good dad to the same boys. I'm gonna keep preaching week in and week out to the same church and keep serving where I'm planted. And I'm gonna do old things in a new way, and that's true faith. When perhaps fear inside of you says, go ahead and bolt but to remain planted. Faith doesn't always call us to go. Sometimes it says stay. And you actually can see this in scripture, Luke 8, 39. There's this dude who's all freaked out because he had like seven demons and Jesus come and says like seven demons are gone. And he cleanses them of, of seven demons. And he's like, okay, I'm ready to be on the ministry team, Jesus. I'm signing me up. Where's my staff position? And, you know, everyone's like, you got to quit your job and work for the organization or go get a job at the church, right? And Jesus, you know, he's like, I got to be on the team. And in the Bible, it says he actually asked Jesus, can I join you in your ministry? And Jesus says, no. The Bible actually says he begged him, please. I want to have faith. I need, to, I need to go. I need to leave this area and go. Here's what Jesus says in verse 39. Stay, return home, and tell everybody how much God has done for you. So can you imagine, everybody's like, weren't you the guy that had seven demons, but now you're the guy that has Jesus? And how much of a difference that would have made? So as you run in the lane, as you bloom where you're planted, as you're faithful, that is actually being faith-filled. One more example, John the Baptist was preaching and people get baptized. There was actually people in the Roman army who got baptized. 
And they're like, time to hand in my army card and march in the Lord's army. I may never, oh, remember that song? Miriam remembers it. Now all the new people are like, what is he doing? <laughs> Grab your purse, honey, let's go. John the Baptist baptizes them and they're like, okay, wh what do we do? What's our, what's our huge assignment? And this is what John the Baptist says to him. Uh, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And what John the Baptist is saying is saying, I want you to be the best soldiers you can be as you follow God. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing that you do, but you're going to do it in a new way. I want you to be a soldier that honors God. I want you to be a banker in a way that honors God. I want you to be a baker in a way that honors God. I want you to, you know, run your company in a way that honors God. I want you to sell real estate in a way that honors God. I want you to be a doctor in a way that honors God. Hello, do you get the point? Some people get called to work in the church, but the rest of us get called to be salt in the world. And guess what? You're more believable than me. Because when I tell people, hey, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Would you like to come to church? You know what they say? That's his job. He gets paid to do that. I pay his salary. But if you tell people about Jesus, they're like, huh? What? For real? They believe you. You're more believable than me. I tell people I'm a preacher, it's like you're a used car salesman. At a bad lot. Right? Because there's good used car salesmen. So John the Baptist says, be a good soldier. So turn to your neighbor and say, be a good soldier. Let's do that real quick. All right. One last thing and we're done. One last thing. Remember eternity. Remember eternity. When you know God's called you to do something or paint a picture Right, we have an artist in our church, Jason is very, very talented. God's definitely gifted him. When God calls him to paint something, there's probably resistance. When God calls you to write something, resistance starts pulling. I'm in the middle of trying to write a book about my 27 years in ministry, and as soon as I start writing, I get distracted. I'm like a gazelle. I gotta do this, I gotta do that. Everybody's like, how much did you get written today? Nothing but I got an idea. It's like writing a sermon, I get distracted. But what helps is remember eternity. And that's what Jesus did. One time, it was one of my favorite stories in John 9, 4, they're trying to pull Jesus off course and, and they're trying to get Jesus to do other things. And here's what he says, I love this. I've gotta do the stuff that God wants me to do while I've got time, while it's still day, because night's coming when no one can work. In other words, I hope you understand this. Your potential is perishable. Your potential is unlimited as long as you seize it while it's there, while it's day. But the night is coming. The night is coming. The end of your life, you are hurtling towards death. I know. I may be doing your funeral or you may be doing mine. Better not play in the garden or I'm haunting all y'all. Don't play that hymn. Seriously, I will haunt you. <laughs> the end of your life is coming. I want to show you a picture. I love this picture. Look at that picture. That's a reminder. Man, you're young and then you're not. 
And what are you? Old, forever. I used to tell people, I'm the pastor. I remember this, I remember this. Wasn't that long ago. I'm the pastor and people go, oh, you're the youth pastor. And I go, no, no, I'm, I'm really the pastor. <laughs> you know, when I tell people I'm the pastor now, they don't ever say this. They don't ever go, oh, you're the youth pastor? They just go, yeah, you're the old pastor. <laughs> Obviously. Because that's me, old. That's you. The opportunity, I've heard this, I love this. The opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. You have to think about that. Your calling from God isn't a Twinkie. You can eat a Twinkie from 30 years ago. This is delicious. It's still good. They got enough preservatives in there. They're good for World War III. But you are not a Twinkie. Your calling and your life will not last forever. It's perishable. You're like milk and eggs and produce. It goes bad. And you're thinking, I'm going to get to it eventually, what God's called me to do. The problem is God will raise somebody up and give them an assignment. And there goes your Twinkie. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good, but you ain't no Twinkie. Go ahead. Yeah. I guarantee you there's no other church in the country today that's saying that statement. <laughs> so get busy living for what counts. Get busy. Remember eternity. Get busy living for what's going to outlast you and outlive you. we got to rise up and run towards the roar. Think of yourself on your deathbed. Think of yourself in heaven. Think of yourself in heaven right now, giving yourself on earth advice. What would you say? You would say, do stuff that matters. Love God and love people. That's what matters. I've never, I've held lots of hands as people have died, including my mom. And, and nobody ever said, gosh, I wish I was at work right now. I wish I had spent more time at work. Run towards the roar. It's funny, the scriptures say the day will come when Jesus will descend with a shout. I like to think it might be an actual roar. The line of Judah roars. So let's run towards the roar till he roars, amen? All right, remember, he's hidden in plain sight. So let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and consider ways that we might run towards the roar. Help us, God, to recognize that, man, our calling and your calling on our life is not forever. It's perishable. We're not Twinkies. Our time is quickly evaporating. We need to be quick while it's still daylight to do what you've called us to do and to run towards the roar. And recognize fear is a part of it. We're gonna be afraid, that's okay. But we have faith that you hold us and you'll guide us and you'll lead us. So God, help us to run towards the roar and to be Christians who love you and to reach out to other Christians with love and grace and not judgment and hate. Lord, I pray that we'll all be the salt of the earth because when this church is the salt of the earth, people believe it. When you tell others about Jesus, they believe it. When you say, God's done this in my life, they believe it. And there you are, hidden in plain sight. You are God to them. You're Jesus to them. You can let him live in you. So I pray, Lord, that that would happen this week. 
and that people would recognize that we don't need to be afraid, that we can run towards our Goliaths because we'll comfort ourselves in the presence of God and we'll know that God is with us. And we pray, Lord, that we'll see Jesus who's often hidden in plain sight. As we pray now the prayer that he taught the 12 saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.